Hello and welcome to the Abbey England Podcraft Season 3. My name is Ishba Watson and I am your host. So what's this podcast all about? Well, it's all about discussing industry insights with our fellow suppliers, customers and leading industry experts from the saddlery and leather trade. In today's episode, you will be hearing from Michael Kilger, owner of Kilger Tannery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Abbey England Podcraft. Joining me today is Michael Kilger from Kilger Tannery in Germany. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm so pleased we finally got you on the podcast. Um, I appreciate I've been mivering and pestering you for a few weeks now. So I appreciate the time you're giving up this morning to talk about your family business, which is very exciting. Um, For those that perhaps are unfamiliar with the Kilger name, Kilger are part of the supply, the vertical supply chain for Cedric Leather, which is really exciting because we've spoken to Cedric Leather and we've spoken to Crawford Hyde, where the, their hides come from, and they're sent to you. So it will be a great opportunity for our listeners to understand the middle section of the process and to learn more about your great business. Um, so I read online that you guys actually started in 1856. And your your name has always stood for high quality. And I think our listeners wouldn't expect anything less um, for, for a tannery that's feeding into Cedric's. Uh, and I also read that you're the fifth and sixth generation of the Kilger family to, to run the business, which is quite phenomenal, I think. How, how do you find working for a family business in terms of balance of work life and family life? Yes, it's, it, I think it's always hard running or what... It's not hard. I really enjoy the work every day when I come to the tannery and the smell of the leather. It's nice every day again and again. But yes, uh, you have quite often 10, 12, 13 hour days uh, in the tannery. And but I think that's that's uh, normal life if you are a business owner. And uh, as long as it makes you happy and uh, it's fine. (laughs) <laughs> and you look happy to me. <laughs> yes, big smile. <laughs> I, really, I really love the material uh, since I can, yes, think about it. And I was playing with leather soles when I was a small kid and I was running in the tannery <laughs> really? next to the street and, and catch leather and was playing with it. Uh, in when I was five or six years old. So. Oh, amazing. And you uh, are a bit of an artisan yourself, aren't you? You do make your own leather products. Um, yes, yes. Aside from, from I, all I, you do for Kilga. Yes, I started it when I was still, uh, I don't know, in college, you tell it, uh, you call it in England, I think. And when I was 17 or 18 and I got some belts for Christmas from my mother mm. and Two, two months later, both of them were broken. And I said, oh, this, it can't be possible that we have to buy really expensive belts and they are broken after two months. And at the same time, we produce one of the best leathers <laughs> around the world. And, and uh, so I said, I will just do one for myself. And that's when it started. And now we have some employees there already doing belts and bags and stuff like this. Oh, amazing. Well, like you said, if you've got the if you've got access to the best resources, then uh, <laughs> you've got a good step up to begin with. Um, so I wanted to move on to talk about uh, Kilgo and obviously your processes. But first, can you tell us a little bit about the different levers you supply? So the the history of Kilgo leather is like most of the vegetable pit tanneries. Uh, is uh, mainly sole leather. So mm-hmm. until 20 years or 25 years ago, we more or less only produced uh, sole leathers or leathers for the or to paddock shoe market. Mm-hmm. That was the tradition of all the pit tanneries. And but the market was going down and down since the rubber soles were invented and people don't repair shoes anymore like in former times. Mm. And so my father was already quite early looking for some different uh, markets which were where high quality is important and and, uh, 
yes, uh, special tanning method. And so he found the equestrian market, yeah, which was yes a little bit smaller in that time, but it seemed very promising and going up. And uh, and yes, I think since. 20 years we started then supplying sole leathers and equestrian leathers and then since 10 years it's probably 90 percent equestrian leathers and oh, wow, now, so it's round. now we changed again because our former biggest competitor in germany mm -hmm. is called jr rentenbach he was one of the famous ones around the world for sole leathers, he was still doing the oak bark tanning method. Yeah. He closed down because he didn't have any one in the family to continue uh, to succeed. Oh. And then we took over the tannery and the brand name last year. And so mm. we now produce a lot of sole leathers again, but uh, only because of, of that reason. And because his brand name was so strong, it's more or less every high quality shoe producer around the world is using JR soles for their top shoe lines. And uh, we took over the brand name and the tanning method. And so we now also, next to our normal pit tanning, we also produce oak bark pit tanning, which is a process which takes six, seven months and not only six, seven. Oh. Okay, because I actually wanted to ask you about that because obviously you guys specialise in the, the vegetable tanned method. So I feel like who better to ask if you operate an, another tannery that specialises in the oak bark tanned process. So can you can you tell us the difference between those press processes and also the difference between chrome tanned leather? Um, I know some of our listeners will be aware, but others aren't and I think it's really important to understand the differences if that's okay. Basically I think in 100 years ago or more every tannery was tanning with vegetable extracts because it was or if we go one step more back it was only barks so there was no tanning extract so it was actually the bark of the trees the people who were working in the woods or owning the woods and the forest, they went out every year and put off the bark of the tree and sold it to the tanneries. And we had a really, really big bark storing facility mm. for an old tannery where you stored it, you dried it, and then you grinded it that it's very fine. And that was the traditional way of producing leather or how you can Yes, uh, make a rawhide into leather. Can and I check as well? Why, why was it specifically oak and not any other tree? It, it's, like actually, sycamore or? it's actually a, a mixture of some barks. Also, you. So the main ingredient is oak bark. It's just the uh, yes, the best. Just uh, what works well. Yes, it works really nice for the article you want to have and. Uh, but it's a mixture. You also have some spruce bark in it. You have some mimosa bark in it because every bark has different uh, advantages and disadvantages. And so you want to combine it. But of the oak bark, 60, 70 or 75% even is oak bark and the rest is some other barks. In, in our case, I think every tannery has their own mixtures, mm. but <laughs> their own special formula. <laughs> It's only a handful left around the world who is doing uh, the bark tanning anymore. So, uh, but yes, and then the, the process continued. People found out that you can extract the tannins of the bark. And so you have the pure tannin and not the bark. So it that was the time when the pit tanning got faster because before that, you put the bark into the pits and then it took quite a long time until the tannin came out of the bark and then go into mm -hmm. the leather. And then now if you can get it extracted and then you have the pure tannin in the water already, which is, uh, yes, which is uh, then going faster into the leather. But also 
the chrome tanning was, uh, I don't know exactly when it was, but maybe 7,100 years ago when they found out. And then a lot of tanneries changed from vegetable tanning to chrome tanning because it was so much faster, so much cheaper. Yeah. And you can tan a leather with the chrome in one or two days, which took two months or three months with <laughs> okay. vegetable tanning. But uh, so I, I'm not, I'm personally not a fan of telling people that chrome is bad and only vegetable tanning is good. So in my opinion, every tanning method uh, has a purpose. Yes, has a purpose. You need, mm. you have, you have leathers you can't produce with chrome ten, uh, with vegetable tanning, and then you have leathers like a sole leather, like equestrian leather, or a, a thick hard equestrian leather you can't produce with chrome leather. So you have a purpose for for every uh, every method, but chrome tanning is yes was made very very bad in the media since some years because you always see the the bad tanneries in Bangladesh or in India. Yeah, it's the environmental but, factor, isn't it? But, but tanneries around here in the UK, in Scotland, mm. in Germany, they are run really well and the chrome is not really a problem. And if you are fair enough and, and look from a different side, if we would tan all the leathers or all the heights around the world with vegetable extracts, we probably would need to cut down all the trees around the world because there is not as much tanning extract available. So you have a purpose for every tanning method, but in our case, we always did the vegetable pit tanning since we the tannery was started 160 years ago and we never changed it and uh, I actually think this is one point why we still exist because a lot of the other ones the smaller tanneries who changed to chrome tanning got in a really big competition with the big tanneries in in South America in Bangladesh uh, okay yeah and where it's all about the price and we always focused about the quality and the mm -hmm. price is uh, behind the quality. That's really interesting to know, um, particularly on the point on, on chrome leather, how you're saying a lot of the, the UK chrome tanneries and, and the European tanneries do it well. Um, mm. I think it's probably a lot about educating the, the customer, isn't it? And telling them more about their processes and why they're not so bad for the environment. Because like you said, recent recent years, chrome tanning has, has got a real backlash um, in terms of the environmental factors. So that's really interesting to know. Um, next, I want to come on to specifically Kilgar's process then uh, for the vegetable uh, tanning process. Because when we spoke to Crawford Hides, they were saying a batch for you guys for the Sedgwick leather takes three months. Uh, to produce. So I think it'd be really interesting for our listeners to start adding these timelines together so they know exactly how long a piece of Cedric leather takes from start to finish. So when the the leather arrives at yours, the, the hides, can you tell us what, what processes it goes through before it leaves the door to come to Cedric's in Warsaw? So basically the hides, when the hides arrive, so there's, it's salted hides from Crawford, so they don't need to be uh, put in the process immediately because uh, of the salting, you can store them for some time. We also work mm. fresh hides from Germany and you need to process them immediately within one day because otherwise... Uh, they Are they not treated with the salt? So no. from? Because it's so close around us, we can work them fresh and obviously mm. the salting takes a lot of time and energy and also the salt costs money. But uh, in this case, they need to be salted because for Sedwig and for our Kilger products, always the belly area of the hide is removed already mm -hmm. on the raw hide because the whole belly area is the piece with the lowest quality of the height, but in the same time it sucks up 
the most tanning extracts because it's so loose fibers in the belly area. Uh, and so it, it, it pumps up much more, yeah. for example, the back area because it's much, much tighter. And so it would be a, a big waste of tanning extracts if we tan them and then cut them off after tanning because for Sedwig, nobody wants to have a belly area for a bridle. Yeah, yeah. You can't use it because it stretches too much. It has too much uh, grain piping. You call it the grain is not really nice there. And so the heights need to be salted because only in the salted stage, you can cut them in the raw height. <clears throat> then okay. the Crawfords already sort them for us uh, for specific uh, uh, points like weight, like uh, substance and everything. Then cut off the belly area and then they come to us and we mm -hmm. call this stage a dosset. So a dosset is the full height with a, without the belly area on both sides. And then we actually made one big step uh, when we built our new tannery 18 years ago. We started to do the, the liming process, the dehairing process, the flashing process of the raw height. We don't do it anymore in our tannery, but we have a contract tannery, which is one and a half hours away from us. And they're only specialized in uh, contract uh, tannery. For removing the hair. Yes, and so we actually bring them all the chemicals they need we supply them the height from Crawford and then mm -hmm. they just do it on contract for us with our recipe. So we don't buy them in, but they are just a contractor. And that was a really, really good idea of my father when he built the new tannery, because a lot of tanneries around Germany had to close down because of the wastewater problems and the first step ah, okay. hearing and flashing and everything like this is the biggest uh, wastewater producing process of, of the whole tanning process. And of course, the contract tannery has about 300 people working there only doing contracts. So they have always the newest wastewater treating plant. They have a plant where they can use the the splits for producing their own energy and stuff like mm. this. And uh, yes, it was very nice that they are so close to us. Yeah, that is. So just to confirm, so that the heights that are coming from Crawford Heights to you guys. So directly, directly to Südleder is the company called the contract tannery. So uh, Crawford is sorting them for us. Then we send them directly to Südleder. They mm. They uh, do the dehairing of the heights, they do the flashing, and uh, yes, our recipe, our pre-treatment before the tanning, and then they put it in a truck and bring it to us. So how long How long is it there for? How long does that take for the dehairing? So the, the process, normally it goes into a, the drums on a, on a Friday and it's finished on on a Wednesday or Thursday. So the, the process there is around five days. Five process. days, yeah. <clears throat> and yes, then they come to us. We just, the only thing we do in our tannery before they come into the tanning pits is we wash them that they don't have any fold marks of the transport and stuff like this. And then we hang them on, on uh, frames so every height is hanged on one wooden stick on a frame on mm -hmm. one frame it's 65 dossets and in one pit is four frames so it's 260 heights in one tanning pit in our tannery and we have six pits there uh -huh. so we always say that the tanning process in the pit approximately takes six to eight weeks so in, <laughs> in the ideal world, we, we have six pits and we empty one pit every week and refill it. So we have the six pits so and it's six so it's weeks. So it's constant. 
Yes, so it's always, so that, that's one point. We, we are very, yes, we look after very much that we do everything the same every time because the problem with the raw material like leather or raw hides is you have so so many different uh, points yes like how is the heights this time are they a little bit stiffer or they softer mm -hmm. was the animals older or younger so you have so many variables which you can't control so we try to control everything we can uh, to maintain a special quality because most in former times pit tanning was just about feeling you know you had the, yeah. the pits and if you needed them you removed them after three months if you didn't need them you left them there for <laughs> eight months so it oh was my God. all it, it it doesn't affect the the leather too much because as long as they are in the tanning liquor they're okay nothing more will happen because they are fully tanned but if you leave them longer maybe they get a little bit harder if you leave them shorter they are a little bit softer so that's but the liquid is there to preserve them really until yes yeah so yeah. you also so we actually removed the pit of a uh, a friend who got a tannery close to us and the leathers were in the pits for 13 years. What? And because, well, they were still usable? Yes, they are perfect. That is that's crazy. Uh, because he stopped the tannery 13 years ago, but the leathers were still inside. And then we, we used his tannery when we took over Rentenbach because we needed a little bit more space. And then we removed the leathers from the pits and yes, was still a very nice usable leather. Well, it's good to be able to reuse it for sure. Um, so if you have uh, six pits and you can do 250 at, at a time, so you're doing 1500 or you have 1500 hides in all six pits at sort of max capacity. That sounds like a hell of a lot of hides. So how, how, how big is your team that you're working with that are yes. helping with the process? We are approximately 20 to 25 people in the tannery now. Uh, it, it, it sounds actually a lot compared to the big chrome tanneries you have around Europe. Mm. They do the same in half a day. <laughs> what we do in six weeks so it's crazy if you so we are a quite big tannery for vegetable pit tanning yeah but compared to the big chrome tanneries around europe we are just as small it as can be uh, but uh, if you if you look at the big chrome tannery they receive five six seven full trucks of raw heights every day and uh, it, so it's crazy, but yeah. we are probably one of the biggest uh, vegetable pit tenors, but compared to them, we are really small. But I think also because we have a certain size of the company, it's really important to survive because you had a, if you go back 10 or 15 years, you had a lot of small, really small specialized niche tanneries they were doing one special product or two special products and they all disappeared because they were just too small to survive because yeah. of different things like the wastewater plant you need the same wastewater plant if you do 100 heights a month or, or two <laughs> heights a month so that's the problem the cost per unit comes very expensive doesn't it yes. And the biggest problem is because you need a certain amount of articles to get rid of every assortment you get of the heights because it's still, yes, a natural product. You never know what will come out of one batch. You can mm -hmm. be really lucky when we get a truck from Crawford with 700 heights. We could be really lucky and have... 600 which are usable for Sedwick, but if we are very unlucky, only 100 are usable for Sedwick. And 
you ne you never know before you only know when they come out of the pit and you sort them and so it's really important that you also have different articles where we you can use the mm -hmm. other one so we have articles in the orthopedic shoe market or for sole leathers and so if you have enough articles you can get rid of everything but if you are very small and specialized in one article if for example we would only supply Sedwick yeah and we would get three bad rawhide deliveries uh, yes connected well, to each other then we couldn't supply Sedwick and in the same time we would have a really big stock of bad assortment well I wanted to, to speak about sort of the quality controls you have in place to ensure only the best hides are sent to Sedgwick um, because when I spoke to Michael Crawford they said they had four physical checks at their uh, factory their tannery um, to check which levers were going to pass on to you guys and for figures for people to understand Michael said if Crawford have a thousand hides to check roughly 250 of those hides would be sent to you guys so can you tell us that then exactly how do you check the lever? What are you looking for and how do you deem it appropriate and high quality enough for Cedric's? So when when the leather are fully tanned in the pit after the six to eight week period, you put them out the, the pits and then they go through a machine called Semming machine. So it's a machine which presses out the excess water of the uh, of the tanning that you can see the grain surface because mm -hmm. otherwise you have a lot of uh, slippery uh, tannins on top and so you yeah. press it out after the pressing you put the full dosing on a big table and two people uh, inspect the whole grain area and check for for open defects, for example, uh, for yes, everything which uh, will affect the, the grain quality later. And then they will uh, be thrown over to the backside. You check the backside if there is any cuts from the slaughterhouses when they remove the, uh, the hide from the animal. Quite often you have quite deep cuts of the knives and that's mm. the worst thing which can happen so that's immediately uh, yes a rechecked how we call it for Sedwick and then the last thing which is checked is the substance of the heights throughout the whole area the biggest problem is for consistency is that yes because the biggest problem nowadays is you mainly have a really really good substance in the in the butt and back area and then the connection between the shoulder and uh, and the back area is the area where the leather gets really really thin for maybe 20 20 or 30 centimeters and then it gets really thick again uh, if you come to the very far uh, shoulder close to the head and because Sedwick is doing the mostly the bridal leathers, which are cut it much longer than yeah. a normal uh, bag, but you cut mm -hmm. uh, for other articles, it's really important that this area is still thick enough uh, to that they, it can go to to them, and that's actually one of the biggest struggles nowadays because of the different uh yes feeding of the animals and and how they are fed and how fast they grow in comparison mm. to former times the height just or the skin just have not the time like in former times to grow with the whole animal so in in former times probably the the weight of the slaughtering was achieved after three or four years and now it's achieved after one and a half years. So this means the the cow or the bull was growing much faster than it was before and the height uh -huh. or the skin hasn't got the time to yes to grow in the to same grow with it, yeah. Yes. And so you have a big problem of substance nowadays. In former times it was really easy to get 
really, really heavy and thick uh, hides because you had a lot of old animals on, with the farmers. And now, because the whole... Yeah, I guess, so, sorry to interject, Michael, is that because obviously way back when um, they were obviously farmed much more organically and they were just out in the fields and ate at their own pace, that kind of thing, whereas these days you come across huge animal farms, don't you, that are, that are processed and, and they're fed yes. a lot, like you said. So I think it's still the heights we use is so in in Ireland it's normal that uh, that all the cows and all the animals are out on the field the whole mm -hmm. summer. So I think they are probably out eight to nine months on the field and they mostly only eat grass. But I think in the winter time they will get uh, also food which will help them growing a little bit faster and. I think nearly everybody's doing it, but heights yeah. we use, so we use only for Sedwicks, we only use Irish heights because they are, uh, yes, the the best choice for the article Sedwick is producing. For Kilger products, we mainly use South German heights because mm -hmm. we mainly do full grain aniline leathers and and Sedwick bridal leathers always the grain is a little bit buffed or fluffed how they call it so you you buff up the grain a little bit so small defects like uh, uh, scratches from the fences and small stuff scars, like, yeah. doesn't affect the Sedwick quality but it would affect Kilger quality because we don't buff it and South German uh, heights have got a much nicer grain than Irish ones, but the Irish ones are much more, uh, yes, even and everything like this. Yeah. So you need different heights for different purposes, but in general, we are very happy that the heights we use from Ireland and from South Germany, we know that it's mostly no animals which are held in a dark, uh, uh, shelter the whole year some somewhere because yeah. both of the two breeds or in our areas it's normal that they are out on the fields uh, more or less the whole summer and and only are inside in the winter time and if I could choose it I would only work with uh, farms they try to do it like in former times but it's not that many nowadays. I hope it changes and I think it will change, but. I think that's definitely reassuring though. And uh, I, I know when I spoke to Michael uh, Crawford on the podcast, he spoke about animal welfare and the checks in place from the slaughterhouses that they use and, and reassured our listeners that um, they were only using the best um, slaughterhouses where they, they properly farmed and looked after the animals. Um, so that's that's really interesting and reassuring to know. Um, I wanted to come back to sort of because you were established in 1856, so you would have had very traditional tanning techniques since then. But how have you interest um, introduced modern technologies to become more efficient over the years? Yes, I, I think that's actually one of the most important parts is that we combine the oldest method of tanning which with really modern technology or not really modern but just modern technology so in for one one great example is in former times you always had a big problem with the pit tanning that especially in our area in the winter time it got so cold that there was no tanning taking place anymore in the pits because if it got below a certain temperature it can't be a chemical tanning process anymore mm. so you had to put the leathers much longer in the pits in the winter time and shorter in the summer time so as i said uh. it was a lot about feeling you mm. saw the leathers and you said okay now they're right or now they are you need to leave them and that's one part what we did our pits are uh, temperature to the same temperature the whole year so we uh, 
we have a temperature control of the of the tanning liquors in the pits, so we yeah. can ensure it's the same quality, uh, no matter if it's minus 30 degrees outside or plus 40 degrees. <laughs> can it get that cold in the in the winter? In our area, you can get minus 20, but we have a lot of snow and we have a lot of cold winter days here. And yes, so uh, that was always a problem. And also, we we constantly check everything. So every week we check uh, the pH of the tanning liquor. We check the borme. It's the borme tells you how much tannin is in the in the tanning liquor, and uh, then. Yes, you always. Uh, we always try to be stable at these points. We have a we have the temperature control, and this is things you didn't have in the past or you didn't do. So in the yeah. past, you actually put your finger into the tannin. <laughs> no, you didn't. They, they didn't taste it. The pH is good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, crazy. Um, if you pull right, so <laughs> tanner, he will still do it and tells you that's the best way how you how you can say <laughs> uh, tanning liquor is good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't encourage that, will we, on this podcast? But, but it's um, an interesting fact, which a lot of people don't realize about the vegetable pit tanning. So the liquor in the pit is actually only water with bark extracts. So if you want, you can drink it. It's only water with uh, with different barks. So and the next That's quite natural then really. It, so yeah. It's, it's really it can't be more natural. And the next point which is so nice about the about the pit tanning is you don't have any wastewater of the tanning process because the only water or tanning liquor which is going out of the pit is the one which are soaked up by the heights so the mm -hmm. rest of the liquor stays in the pit forever you never throw it away and that's the interesting part so we, yeah. if you put out one batch of heights then the heights soaked up a certain amount of tannins in the water and we measure it and just refill replenish the yeah were soaked up so actually the 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 tanning liquor in the pits is as old as a tannery is old but you oh, so it's got some real history in it then <laughs> and and uh, and that's a, a really nice part because all the other tanning methods also vegetable tanning in the pit Chrome tanning in the uh, not not vegetable tanning in the drum, chrome tanning in the drum is really really wastewater intensive. So yeah. you probably need per uh, kilogram height you probably need five to ten kilogram water. So if you have ten tons of what uh, of heights inside, you probably need fifty thousand liter of water for the tanning, oh, and. Sure. Uh, of course, every tannery has their own wastewater plant and they can reuse it. But still, with the vegetable pit tannery, in the tanning process, you don't have any wastewater at all. Only mm. the one, the excess one you press out on the machine after the pit, which is, I don't know, half a liter of a hydro. Uh, so not talking oh, much. Yes. So effectively, your mod modern technologies have allowed you to have allowed you to be consistent to keep sort of the quality control and reduce your wastage effectively. They sound pretty good yes. <laughs> to me. <laughs> it, it would be really nice if in reality it also works that great. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, yeah. our biggest struggle as a tannery is always uh, the raw material. That's that's why why we tend to only work with the same suppliers for years and years. So Crawford is a, a mm -hmm. supplier from us for 20 or 25 years or maybe longer. And also the ones we use in South Germany, it's always the same. So we know 
it's the same height of the same slaughterhouses of yeah. the same farmers over and over again because yes the raw material is the is the most essential part of the whole process which we not really can control and uh, so it's really important to have good partners there and like i said before everything else we try to control everything and do the process the same time and not put it in the pits sometimes six weeks sometimes eight weeks sometimes four weeks so we mm. have the same process uh, over and over again throughout the whole year and it com this combined with a lot of yes knowledge from the family mm. history and uh, every every pit tannery has their own mixture of uh, liquors in the pits and uh, yes we probably found a really good thing <laughs> <laughs> not going to share it <laughs> uh, i just um secret of want... repeat tannery yeah <laughs> i want to i feel like you have um briefly discussed this but i just want to sort of make it abundantly clear to our listeners because kilger do state that you use purely natural and ecological tanning processes so can you please just confirm how you practice this? You mentioned about sort of the wastewater, but I think just like I said, to make it abundantly clear for listeners, if you could clarify that. So in, in general, our whole tannery, we, we don't only try to tan naturally, but we try to do everything as uh, sustainability as possible. So when we build our new tannery 18 years ago, the whole building is made out of wood. Uh, we we produce most of our energy on our own in the tannery. Uh, all the water which is going out of our tannery is as clean as uh, water from normal households. So it can just go in the normal uh, wastewater treatment plant from our city. So it's we have a wastewater treatment plant in ours uh, in the tannery uh, before, but then it's as clean as yes, it just comes from any family at home, so it's no no problem at all for for wastewaters. And as we discussed before, we don't really have a lot of wastewater because the tanning method just uh, yes, because the tanning liquor is used again and again and again and actually gets better by time because mm. at the beginning if you mix a new tanning liquor all the the particles are really big so you have very big tanning particles in in the extracts you have very small ones and uh, from time to time gets always better because the big ones uh, Yes, get out and uh, mix more with the smaller ones. So uh, it's it's really important that you have a, a, a old tanning liquor which you can always mix again. But that's yeah. something we are very proud of too. That we are one of the probably I don't know how many there are around Europe, but probably not more than two handful of pit tanneries anymore because everybody was moving to vegetable drum tanning mm. or to chrome tanning and uh, we are very very proud that we still do the same process and I think now it's coming more into focus again with all the sustainability thinking uh, acting and uh, yes it was very good that my father and his father uh, didn't fall for the for the <laughs> the, the chrome <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that, that's, uh, that's good to hear um moving on because i'm conscious we'll be running out of time soon um we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast you are uh, a maker yourself um so what do you consider when choosing a piece of leather for a project so it's so actually i i only take the heights from our tannery which are really hard to sell to normal <laughs> customers 
because for me, a really nice piece of leather, you can see that it's a natural product. And that's you like to see the scarves. Yes, I, I, I'm looking. So uh, if if you would call it uh, how you call my workers, I'm always coming down to the tannery and collecting the worst heights we we find <laughs> there. But I don't uh, like like the name uh, bad selection or second selection. It's a natural product, and you don't mm -hmm. have, you don't have. Uh, defects you only have natural marks on it that's how I like to call it. I think it. That's, that's a nice way to see it because I think the industry have set these standards haven't they of how leather should be received and yeah. and a certain look when actually as you rightly say it's, it's a natural product product and it will have scars and stretch marks so it's quite refreshing to hear you say that you purposely go out your way to to use that leather. And I think I, I always also with our products we sell I want to make aware people of that that it's leather is a natural product especially I, okay if I want I can spray a ton of pigments and colors on top of the leather mm -hmm. then you don't see anything of the natural marks anymore but then it's no more leather for me then I can also buy a, a plastic belt if I spray plastic on top so, and that's one thing which uh, I would say annoys me always about the equestrian business is that on a saddle or on a bridle, everything needs to be perfect. But, mm. and, but on the same time, it needs to be out of a natural aniline leather. So that's a combination which is really hard to get. And... Uh, I always want or try to make people aware that a scar in the leather doesn't affect anything of the quality. The yeah, it's only uh, optical issue. And in my point of view, it's nice if you see, okay, this animal was out in the field and it was going to a tree because uh, yes, it was rubbing the back on the tree or something like this, and that's where it got the scar from. And that's for me the the, the beauty of uh, leather, if you see it. Well, I, I like that answer, and uh, hopefully it will encourage other people to look at it in, in a similar way. Um, final question for you, Michael. What's the biggest misconception people have about leather? I, I think at the moment, because all the media people forget that leather is only a side product and it's more or less a waste product. Mm -hmm. And uh, now a lot of people blame the tannery or the leather industry that uh, we kill uh, animals that we can produce leather out of it. But uh, yes, there is no single uh, cow around Europe or around the world which will be killed for the height. It's only they will be killed for, for the meat or that's what a lot of people forget. Mm. Most of them in Germany, for example, a lot more cows are held for milk than for meat. So as soon as or as long as people will eat meat or will drink milk or want to eat yogurt or want to eat chocolate where milk is inside. It's the only, in my opinion, the only ethical method of uh, using the hide if you kill it before because we want to eat it. And so it's, I think in my opinion, it's nice that you can make a really long lasting product out of uh, of a uh, waste product of yeah. the industry and that's what nowadays happens that people blame us or not us is in particular but mainly the big the industry yeah. uh, that uh, because of the leather animals are killed but I always say that's uh, the biggest problem and as long as we eat meat and want to have milk products it's the only uh, 
only solution that we use the height for for a good product. And I think that's really an important message to land on, uh, to finish on, sorry. Uh, because as you say, if we didn't use them and we didn't have um, tanneries like yourselves, the lever would just go into landfill and, and that doesn't benefit anyone, does it? So, Michael, thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, I think we've given our listeners lots of information to, to think on and some reassurance of the quality controls that you guys have um, in terms of the, the lever that's the Sorry, the lever hides that are sent to Cedric's. He spoke about the four different checks you have. We know it takes now six to eight weeks at your place, uh, plus the five days for dehairing, three months at Crawford, and then I think Cedric's also take about eight weeks as well to process that. So we're looking at seven months in total to to process one piece of leather, which is incredible, really, um, when you think about it. So thank you very much for your time and for all your input and knowledge. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot this morning as well, and I'm much clearer on the differences between um, the different tanning processes. So thank you very much. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye to our listeners? Oh, I, I, I really love to talk about leather. I could talk five more hours with you about it. And uh, <laughs> yes, I. Uh, it's nice that people can, can hear the full story of Sedwick from the Crawford Heights from us. Uh, from Sedwick and uh, hopefully, uh, yes, more and more people will will understand uh, uh, that there is, uh, yes, vegetable tanned leathers and the method like Sedwick is producing it, it's the most sustainable way, even if it's more expensive than other ones. But if you look back after five years, it was much cheaper if you bought five uh, cheap products instead. And that's also one thing I want to, to learn the people again, that it's cheaper if you buy one good product. Buy once. <laughs> yes, buy once rather than buy five times something cheap. I think that's a, a great note to end on. So thank you very much to Michael uh, for his time this morning. And thank you to all our listeners. We will be back again next time with some more interesting guests for you all so thank you very much thanks for listening to the abbey england podcraft tune in next time for more industry insights in the meantime head over to abbeyengland.com for all your workshop supplies